0: So, and this is, this is a quote from old Baldy that I've been using my entire career. If you have one foot in boiling water and one foot in dry ice, you are not comfortable, but on average, you're pretty good. Once more onto the breach, dear friends else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. Uh, Together we are bald and bearded. Uh, We had a request that we should say bald and beautiful, but there may be some copyright infringements with some soap operas. out. Oh, bold? Never mind. Um, The uh, next um, (sighs) disclosure we must give after the bald one is that we tell horrible jokes, although that may have been self-explanatory from the last few seconds. Uh, We are bad at puns and other forms of humor, so if you enjoy very boring economics jargon and bad humor, you are on the right place. Um, We have a bunch of other disclosures that we must give, uh, both for ethics and regulatory purposes. Uh, This is the personal wealth coach. I just said that. Well, yeah, you're supposed to say it again. Okay. Uh, That is also the name of a firm, a business that is registered to give investment advice. It's registered with the SEC to do it. The program that you're listening to predates that firm by quite a long number of years. However, the people that own that firm are the principals of this program as well, at least the majority owners. Okay, so let's see how many uh, voting share interests should we... No, no, we're going in the wrong direction here. Let's back to the disclosure. Uh, Just because the SEC says that we need to register with them, and we do, and there's all that has to be done, doesn't mean that the SEC believes that we're some form of golden children or anointed or we say things correctly simply because we're registered. That's silliness. Nope, they don't do that. They are the government and they are... In similar fashion to when you file your taxes with the IRS, the IRS has not suddenly given you a thumbs up to say, the IRS has endorsed me. So we have filed with the SEC in the same way. Um, We are not paying for this radio program. Weird, I know. This is not paid commercial advertising. Uh, We've been doing this thing. I've been doing it since 1998, which if you count that, it comes up on the way too long. That's the number of years that is. And, and older Baldy, other disclosure here, is my father. And he's been doing it several years before this. Uh, and he was in radio before the hills got dusty. At no point did we pay for this program. We also don't get paid for the program, which as economists, that doesn't seem like a very good decision to spend this many hours over this many years On Saturday mornings, talking to foam balls uh, for no compensation, it's very strange. We do advertise on the radio uh, station, uh, and we do it actually at discounted rates, and we advertise for the radio program. So does KTEM. I don't think there's a quid pro quo. I think if we got them angry enough, if we just said, we're not going to advertise with you guys ever again, they would start looking for somebody else to fill our time slot here. I th- so there may Probably. be some form of quid pro quo, but I don't, it, it would just be more of the, the bad blood than about monetary things, I think. What were you going to say?
1: Probably without a great deal of success. They might yeah. find some. It, it's hard sleep. to fill
0: up two hours of radio with-, with
1: An, Inanity is the word.
0: I was going to say entertainment, but I'm not sure we do that. Do we entertain people? I, 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 I often hear about people using us for insomnia treatments, so- um, It's an effective use of our podcast. If you want to use it for that, that's fine. If you find effectiveness in our voices, then you should use it. Um, Let's see. You've got the last disclosure to give.
1: The information we present on this educational radio program, or internet program as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
0: Yes. Very well done. And, and just to wrap that up, I believe what we said in our um, disclosures was we're registered, but that doesn't mean we're cool. We're not cool because we're economists. Uh, we have this radio program that we don't pay for, but uh, the only reason why we're still here is because they can't find anybody else to fill up the time slot. That's it's probably true. And then yeah. we think what we're saying is accurate. How's that?
1: I mean, if they were going to find somebody to fill up this slot, other people pay to to be on the radio. Yeah. And we don't. So, they could find somebody that was more profitable.
0: They could. And I don't – I really – I appreciate that they haven't done that. Yeah. Well – I mean, maybe it's just the tradition. We've been through, what, four owners of the the station and – I think so. um, We have a question from Inquisitor John. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great Inquisitor John who is – Uh, religious in his questions for us every week. We really appreciate you, John. Thank you. He has a good question this week. However, it isn't done in traditional format. He didn't take a a digital picture of the Wall Street Journal this time. Uh, And I'm okay with that because this is a a general question. Uh, I'm only a second lieutenant, but I will give it my best. Uh, The question, the subject of the email is strong dollar. I'm sure you You've covered this in past shows, but what is a strong dollar relative to other currencies and how do countries keep their currency strong? Okay. It's a little bit of a misnomer to call a currency strong because it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. What is, let, let me just say, let's step back for a second and say, all of this is around what a dollar can buy. And with that, you have a lot of different numbers of things. If you're buying a gallon of gasoline, you should say, all right, this is how much a dollar can buy of my gallon of gasoline, except that that's different all the way across the country. If you live in San Francisco, almost everything you buy with a dollar buys less of it than if you uh, live in Alabama. So a currency doesn't have the same value everywhere. You could actually reverse that and say, A currency doesn't have the same value, period. It's not really easily comparable, except that we have a big open marketplace for currency exchange. The foreign exchange market, which if you're selling dollars, isn't really a foreign, but if you're getting paid in some other currency, it is. So the foreign exchange market gives us a marketplace to say what is the exchange rate from a dollar to a euro or a dollar to a Thai bot or, or any number of other I- currencies out there. And when we follow the exchange market, what is meant by a strong dollar is it will buy more of those other currencies then the currency buys of it. Now, the, the euro is like $1.08 a euro now, which is very low on the euro end, which means a dollar in Europe will buy more than it did when the euro was at $1.27. So that's considered a strong dollar. It's great for importing things because you can buy more stuff with it. So if you really want to buy stuff from everywhere else and you're not that concerned about selling to everyone else, then you want a strong dollar. This is a dollar that will buy a lot of stuff in Europe. You can go on vacation and it'll be great. But if you're in the import business, that's good. If you're in the export business, it's really bad because you've got to convert your goods, which you put together using dollars to pay people and dollars to buy the stuff with and now you have to sell it into a market where that by very definition means it's more expensive so a strong dollar is great for a net importer which we are we import a lot more than we export Uh, we're a net exporter of oil and a net importer of almost everything else that we import so we're a net exporter of corn and of wheat and a whole number of other things but we're buying a bunch of stuff from other places So net for our country right now, a strong dollar is good. But if you're Germany, you don't want really a strong euro. Their economy is based on exports, on getting stuff to China and the other countries of the world where they want their prices to be lower in competition. If you're China, you don't want a strong yuan the vast majority of their economy is based on exports. And if exports is the majority of your economy, just having a, air quotes around this, please, weak yuan allows your price to be lower. Now, there's a different value in the United States for a dollar than outside the United States for a dollar. You don't have an exchange rate between California and Alabama, but there's obviously a different value in what those dollars are buying. If you have a strong dollar, no matter where you are in the country, it does make things cheaper to buy. So this is when economists start talking about in aggregate or on average or the mean, you should be very afraid. But that's how all the news stories come out. So, and this this is a quote from Old Baldy that I've been using my entire career. If you have one foot in boiling water and one foot in dry ice you are not comfortable but on average you're pretty good so when we're talking on averages and a foreign exchange rate that foreign exchange rate is worth is a bunch of different trades that have gone through and that's kind of the last trade where if we look at the dollar value in the united states we've got to aggregate all of this stuff from all over the country and we come up with a number that there's maybe one or two cities on the on the in the entire country where that's the actual rate of inflation or deflation.
1: The dollar is not like other currencies. That's probably the first thing in trying to understand the dollar that you need to get in your head. The dollar is the global currency. It is the first true global currency since the Roman denarius. Right.
0: There were attempts at it with the pieces of eight, the the, the and, Spanish and tabloid. The doubloon, and after that, with the pound. But the dollar has bridged the entire planet, where the pound was very close to a big amount of it, but not all the way there.
1: When we look at the dollars in circulation to determine which, which is a big point of some people, they look at the money supply and they look at the money supply and say that's what the Fed should be looking at because they quote Milton Friedman, who said that's the big issue. Well, it was at the time when Friedman was first writing. However, the dollar is now the global currency. So if you look at the quantity of dollars in the United States and the quantity of dollars outside the United States, I think there's more out there than there are in here. And they have an effect on the value of the dollar. And the reason they have an effect on the value of the dollar, it is literally in the best interest of every planet and every major company on the globe to have a stable dollar. The Chinese pay For their raw materials imported from Africa, imported from uh, Iran, among other things, in dollars. Why? Because the dollar is universally spendable. The yuan is not.
0: And they don't want it to be.
1: And the ruble is not. Uh, And even the next best thing which is the euro uh, is potentially subject to suddenly I mean if you bought a if you bought a 30year euro bond you are taking a significant risk that 30 years from now the euro will not be an effective currency because there is no nation state with a constitution that backs it
0: right? and as we saw with brexit they can leave not just the eurozone which is euro denominated they never were part of that they can actually leave the governmental organization that is supposed to be backing the euro so and if you just say i elect to leave and therefore i'm not going to pay any more debts in euros what does that mean
1: it is it is, the United States is the largest economy on the planet. And there's a lot of people who would like to explain that away by coming up with some cooking numbers uh, for China and so on, but it, it, it just isn't so.
0: And I, and I can give you a full academic treatise on that or a layperson treatise on that in the next segment that we do.
1: There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today that I think is very illustrative of this. The Brick Bank, BRIC Bank, B R I C Bank, in shanghai was set up by china with the BRIC nations brazil uh russia was it is in, india and china i think it is BRIC nations back when things were running a little smoother and invasions right. of other countries hadn't gone
0: on brazil russia and they, india and china yes
1: the purpose of that bank that china set up was to create a world currency to displace the dollar the uh bank in shanghai china is now not making loans and may Collapse unless the Chinese government steps in to support it. Wait a minute, that's how successful the replacement for the dollar was. It
0: it fell like a what? Like like a brick?
1: Like a brick? Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Sorry, that that was a little uh, sophomoric of me, but I couldn't hold up hold off on the pun. It was too good or bad. Fundamentally,
1: there are there are dictatorships around the world that don't like the idea that the dollar is the dominant currency in the world, so they would like to replace it with something they could control. That. But because the dollar can be used against them by the United States because we dominate the dollar system in as, the world.
0: As happened in Russia. Russia invaded Ukraine, and we see we froze a bunch of their reserves. Mm-hmm. They were keeping a lot of reserves in dollars, and we said, nope, can't have these. In the United,
1: in the United States, they were keeping their reserves. That's right. And we said, okay. You know why they and, and the reason they were keeping their reserves in the United States is the ruble has collapsed to nothing on at least three occasions. Yes. And... There may there are certainly, I should say certainly, there's a very high probability, it's probability at some point in the very distant future that the United States will no longer dominate the globe economically. But it ain't anytime soon because yeah. the the institutions and the foundation of our government and our financial system is very, very old compared with others and is very, very solid. Now, I will admit that. Congress, the House of Representatives, the majority party in the House of Representatives came very close, it looked like, to making me wrong on that statement. But even the most radical, most of the most mad- radical members, at least, at the last minute changed their mind.
0: Yeah. It's, and so
1: they got a vote.
0: Too big a catastrophe to make such a little point. Uh, and by, well, yeah. So uh, that I think we answered the dollar question there.
1: Let me, ask, let me add one more thing about the dollar that I
0: think is important. One of the reasons
1: it's important that the dollar is the global currency is that whoever has the global reserve currency can borrow a lot of money without it affecting the value of the currency.
0: The other end of that, the other flip the coin on that, there is no good place to deposit Said money when you are the government of that money. When you are the global currency, the government doesn't set up a bank account for itself. Uh, Congress will often give write itself IOUs, but it's this is this is where things get weird in that what currency is that in that iou it was never issued as dollars somebody purchased it except that if like for instance social security the social security trust fund uh is a imaginary set of numbers that that's on the books now that's true about almost everything there aren't actually paper dollars to back up all of the electric electronic dollars that's that's absolute fact uh there's nowhere near enough of that but this is where it gets into weird There's enough other people on the planet that also believe that the dollar is going to be okay, as do we, that it means the dollar is probably going to be okay for a long, long time. So that's weird. It's all about psychology when it comes to money, but it's the case. And we'll move on to the next segment now, which is very closely related. When people say that the Chinese economy is actually larger Than the united states economy uh and you say how can that be how can i but you hear very very reputable sources written in in um lay journals but still on the financial subject type magazines and newspapers and so on talking about purchasing power parity ppp um and what does that mean? So it, under this concept, the Chinese economy passed us like 15 years ago. So what is purchasing pri- power parity? Well, if you say, it, it, what does it cost to live and be comfortable in your hometown? And you measure it and you say, okay, that is equivalent to somebody else in another hometown somewhere living comfortably. Uh, they, they can be uh, buying certain things. They can be doing certain things, whatever that might be. Okay, that's kind of like saying if, if you live in the bayous of Louisiana and you're living comfortably, that's the equivalent of living in a skyscraper in San Francisco. It isn't. There, there's a lot that went into that. So when we're looking at someone living comfortably in China versus someone living comfortably in the United States, there's some assumptions that have to be made there. Number one, building codes, structural integrity whether or not you have insulation in your walls, whether or not you have working fuse boxes or breaker boxes, whether or not you have clean water. All of these things are things that we accept as just being the norm here. When you get into a car, if you bought that car in the last like 15 years, it's got airbags. And usually it's got airbags that are all the way around the entire compartment where people sit. And there's Compression zones and and uh, dropping engines and all and shatterproof glass. They don't have that in China. It is not standard for them to have airbags in China on any cars. Most cars do not. The vast majority of cars do not have airbags in China. Is that car the same value as a car in the United States? No, well, no. You would not pay. For that car at the same price that you're paying for this car. So PPP, Purchasing Power Parity, had this advent in the early parts of the century, the very early parts of the 21st century. And it was thought, "Whoa, this is a great way we can look around and we can just measure and we can say, just to exist, they're as wealthy as we are. But the in-depth review of the subject hadn't come out till much, much later. And most people that write using Purchasing Power Parity, it's kind of like a milestone. You can tell when they went to school, if they went to school for economics. It generally means that they went to school somewhere between the year 2000 and 2006. Because it's not taught with the same vehemence as it was then. And people still think it sounds very sophisticated, but it's really not arguable. If you have a television, your television is vastly better than a household in China's television. If you're eating food, it has more vitamins and gone through better testing. Uh, it's safer and more quality than the same food in China. You were going to add to this? <clears throat> you are defining us as moderates. I know. It's weird, isn't it?
1: Because the extreme progressive branch on the left side thinks the United States is an evil, nasty, substandard country and everybody else must be better. Right. And the extreme right wing basically says the same thing. And the people, the closer you get to the middle, in my experience, the more people say, yeah, I've looked at other countries and I've looked at other places and this is about as good as it gets with all its warts and pimples. Now, I will say, if you're extremely wealthy, Europe looks like a better fit.
0: Yeah. And, And to put this in another frame, there is a country on the planet, that per capita, their income is far higher than anywhere else on the planet. And their standard of living is far higher than anywhere else on the planet. And it's not the United States, although it's true about the United States for most of the other countries. There's one country that's even head and shoulders above us. It's Switzerland. Right. And if you look at the per capita wealth of Switzerland, it's a, it's like all the rich uncles went there and stayed. Uh, they do- <laughs> They did. At least they they put their money there. Right. And so that country, which is very neutral and stays out of things, has been close to a superpower or a superpower for most of its history. And that's sort of forgotten recently since they have been so quiet and neutral for the past hundred years or so. But there's a reason why the Vatican still hires a bunch of Protestants to come and guard the Pope uh, because it's the Swiss army and they are... Amazing, and there's still Swiss Army knives, and th- yep, those are cool too. Uh, just putting that out there uh, because it's interesting. Per capita, they they are still amazing. Um, I'm not saying that they're better or worse. That's like saying PPP. There's no better or worse. I love where I am, and my choice of PPP is living here. Um, yep. And when we actually compare validly, would you buy what? someone else is living comfortably with at the same price that you're buying whatever it is you are buying so would you would you pay fifty thousand dollars for a chinese car that didn't have airbags the windshield shatters when you hit it uh the uh seat belts may or may not work and you've got to crank the windows up and down with your arm there's probably air conditioning but maybe not heating or vice versa this is serious. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. This is what the traditional and new sales of cars are looking like in China. You can get better, but that usually might means you're buying luxury rather than whatever's on the lot. Uh, and so PPP. I think I've I've said that enough. It's a cool concept, and I wish it were valid to say anywhere people live that's comfortable is the same value as living comfortably somewhere else. But then you could go to. Papua New Guinea and say look this tribe is living very comfortably. <laughs> well yes but I wouldn't pay the same for their tent as I would for my house.
1: Uh you're talking about wealthy per capita nations? Yep. Monaco is I think at the top it's yeah. $234,000 per capita. Yeah.
0: Um yeah.
1: Switzerland is only 93,500 per capita. Well, ba- now, ba- Bahrain West-
0: what they've done though is if if you calculate all of the people in Bahrain instead of just the citizenship of Bahrain, you'll realize that the per capita wealth drops drastically because they have hired a lot of immigrant servants basically to come and run the country.
1: Uh, If you, if you run down the list, it's all small countries tucked away in corners someplace until you come to the United States. And the United States is the first big country with a high per capita. By the way, in 2022, we, the per capita income in the United States, meaning if you take the gross domestic product and divided by the number of residents, it's sixty nine thousand one hundred eighty five dollars.
0: And that, uh, while you were just going somewhere else with that, I know you want to talk about the economy, but this this kind of goes there's when people when people in the investment world or the Economics world, finance world, start talking about emerging markets. For the past about 25 years, we've had a metric that we use to say what countries are emerging and which ones aren't. Um, And when I was learning about emerging markets, this is what it was. Well, if you have the per capita GDP of South Korea or less, in dollar terms, then you're an emerging market, except that South Korea is now the 12th largest economy on the planet and it's still the marker for where emerging is. It's actually passed a bunch of the already emerged industrial countries in per capita GDP. And yet those countries that it passed didn't suddenly become emerging markets. So there's no metric that's really good to be used any there anymore. And I think that's it's just funny to be talking about PPP and per capita GDP and thinking Wall Street's got this figured out. The financial folks know about what's emerging and what's not. And the government of South Korea is is asking the MSCI rating folks to say, hey, we're already emerged. What's going on? Um, it's got a 35000 a year yeah. per, per capita GDP. That's, that's pretty decent.
1: Well, when you consider that Japan is definitely not considered an emerging market. It is definitely considered an emerged market, I suppose. And the GDP per capita in Japan is only 39,650. So it's almost the same as South Korea. You, calling South Korea an emerging market doesn't make any sense.
0: Right. So, yeah, that, that's again, we, we are a, a little bit pedantic, a lot of it. Pedantic, pedantic on this program. We do puns. We also believe that there should be definitions for words like bull market and bear market and correction and what's an emerging market. But um, those are all defined, just like the names of wars. When I was growing up, I thought there was like a committee somewhere that Uh, was getting together, a bunch of historians or whatever said, this is what we will call that war. Nope, it's just consensus. It's just a bunch of people sort of saying that, and enough people write about it using that name, it sticks. So the Great Recession, there was not a committee that says, this shall be called the Great Recession. Uh, There also wasn't a committee that said, we will call it the Global Financial Crisis. Just enough people wrote about it that way that that's what we call it. And when we talk about the definitions of things like emerging markets or bear or bull or correction, who's in charge of that? Well, nobody. We are, I guess. We can call things whatever we want. I'm going to call this a pig market. (laughs) We've got uh, some stuff that's been sent in. One from Steve says, uh, relative strength strength index. Is the relative strength index a useful tool in evaluating stocks or predicting bull or bear markets? Also, what's it going to take to reverse the inverted yield curve on bonds? Two very diverse questions. Very good. The relative strength index is a technical indicator. It's based on the momentum of the pricing of a stock. What does that mean? The number of people buying or selling on a given day and comparing the price changes uh, over the last uh, given period of time. Uh, So what does that what does that actually do? Well, it tells you where volatility exists. It says this may be oversold or undersold. You absolutely need to use other things as well in buying and selling stock uh, because you could look at it and it says, look, this is being sold quickly. I need to jump in and buy and and without recognizing the fact that they just declared bankruptcy, something like that. So that's obviously over the top as an example it is purely technical. It's all only looking at number of people purchasing or, or amount of purchases, the change in value at the same time. So is it useful as a measuring tool? Sure, yes, absolutely. Is it predictive by itself? No, it needs other stuff added to it. Uh, and that's true with almost every technical indicator. They are good tools so long as you know the fundamentals of the thing that's being measured at the same time. Uh, it's kind of like saying, can I navigate only by looking at my speedometer? Well, m- maybe, but it's probably not the safest move. You may need to be looking out the window as well. That You don't want to get too focused on one indicator. It's a good one to have. It just is not predictive on its own. You need to know why it is that the structural things that it's measuring are changing. Otherwise, it's just numbers. Um and you might get right until you know the fundament when you don't know the fundamentals but you also might get wrong. So the other question he had and this is one that I think you're going to have some input on as well for sure is what's it going to take to reverse the inverted yield curve on bonds to get that yield curve uninverted a normal yield curve. The answer to that from my perspective is the Fed's going to have to sell stop selling about 95 billion dollars a month uh, into the market on bonds. That will reverse it. They're selling a lot. They're bringing their balance sheet down. They're trying to pull money out of the economy and into those bonds by selling them. That's the major reason why the yield curve is inverted right now. It inverted when they started selling bonds. Uh, and you can see what they're selling and say, oh, well, their their inventory of this kind of bond went down. And look over there. The interest rate on that same kind of bond went up. Uh, the Federal Reserve is the 600-pound gorilla in the room.
1: There's something else here that's... That is a bit of a conundrum, particularly among people who have read history and at least recent history. What happened when Paul Volcker raised interest rates the last time, about as much as as the Fed has raised interest rates this time, was that longer-term interest rates didn't go up, they started down. Why did they start down after, after the short-term interest rates went up and the longer-term interest rates went down, so you got an inverted yield curve? Why did people they go down? Were,
0: people were selling from the long term and buying the shorter term.
1: The 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 well, I, I think it's the other way around.
0: But that's oh yeah, all right. yeah, I, yeah, that's uh, what I meant.
1: Interest yeah. rates go down when the price of bonds go up. Yeah uh but the the point is he was breaking the back of inflation. And so longer term interest rates are based on an assumed inflation into the future. And so the rates began to come down. Right now, what we're seeing, and I've been mean, it, it certainly hasn't made the headlines and very little commentary about it uh, that I've seen in print or anywhere else, longer term interest rates are gradually rising. And why are they rising? Because there is a gathering belief that the very low inflation that we've experienced over the last decade or more is not going to come back. We're going to come back with a higher rate of inflation. We're going to come back with probably, we're, our, our best guess is 2.5%. Uh, but nobody really knows. But it isn't going to be zero, which is what we, it was below 1% for a long time. And there was an assumption in the bond market it would stay that way forever as there always is. So what will happen to get the yield curve changed? is the Fed will lower short-term interest rates some, and longer-term interest rates will rise more until finally longer-term are higher than shorter-term. But I don't think we're going back to short-term rates at 1% or below any time, probably in my lifetime, probably not for decades, if ever. That was an anomaly that hadn't occurred in 100 years, and it, it happened again. And it may be another 100 years before it occurs again. But what we'll see is higher... Well, Chairman Powell has said it again and again. Higher, longer. Interest rates will be higher, longer than just about anybody on Wall Street is guessing at right now. And I tend to think that's true because the reason we had near zero inflation has disappeared. It's called China.
0: Yeah. The the cheap workforce, if you lowered or if you raised your price somebody else would do it for cheaper the cheap workforce is unreliable now so you don't have someone stepping in to do that uh we got a a question from uh philip more kind of an observation about ukraine uh being one of the largest producers of wheat and barley and so on um one of the things that i should bring up here is that before the invasion for wheat Uh, Ukraine was number one, Russia was number, no, Russia was number one, Ukraine was number three in the world. For corn, Ukraine was number one, Russia was number three. For barley, uh, Russia was number two, and Ukraine was number three. The number that has been skipped in each one of those is the United States. So the number one producer of, of wheat since the invasion of Ukraine, of wheat, corn, barley, soy, there's a whole number of grain products is the United States. It's part of the reason why prices have gone up on food is that we were not producing as much as we are now. We've gone into overdrive producing stuff, but that's absolutely correct. One of the big things that has happened in the war is the Nova Novokovka Dam was destroyed that was the source of irrigation for the breadbasket of Ukraine. It has to be re- replaced before they can come back into on a competitive footing. The reason why it's called Nova Kohavka is because they had a Kohavka dam that was destroyed in World War II twice, once by uh, the Ukrainian Russians, um, the Soviets, and once by the Nazis as they were leaving. So this new dam, which came in with a... American designers, by the way, just side note, interesting. Um, when it was destroyed, it it's being used as the source of the irrigation that puts Ukraine in the top three on the planet for producing grains of all kinds. So that's going to take some while to come back. Uh, we've benefited from that, but it's not something that we can be proud of. So we've this got lots industry. to talk about next hour on this subject of what is inflation? Where does it come from? Because there's a lot more that we know now than we knew even five years ago. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Too bad that we had to experience it to learn about it. Oh yeah, that wasn't so good. But the rest is good. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we have uh, voicemails waiting, real live people during the weekend. Uh, we're going we are the personal wealth coach and we give investment advice at a fiduciary level customized to the person. we also do portfolio management at the same time. So the local number is,
1: 254 947 1111.
0: You can reach that line toll free at 1 800 914 7526. That's 800 914 plan. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you will see our famously made for radio faces, our wonderful staff. You can uh, read our newsletter, sign up for it. You can listen to radio programs going way back. Uh, you can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are. Uh, Contact us on the contact form or email at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com.